Hello, and welcome to Sundays at Coastal. This week, Pastor Andy teaches a sermon from 2 John titled, Protecting Your Heart and Your Family. There will be a day when you open your eyes and see that some of your friends are not pulling in the same direction as Jesus. You realize the only thing you have in common is your shared bondage to the same lie or rebellion. They're not friends, they're cellmates. And when you start to get free, they'll do everything to pull you right back into bondage. You don't change people with anger, you change people with love. How do you help those who don't believe? How do you help them see that trusting Jesus is better than their anger or pride or cynicism or self-reliance? You love them. Good, good morning. Never had softer skin in my entire life. It's like first face mask ever with the pink head thing and the robe. It was a glorious Saturday. Uh, welcome, everyone. I'm so glad you're here. If you're new or visiting with us for the first time, welcome. I know there's a whole row of people from Bakersfield. We love you and we forgive you. And uh, so glad that you're here this morning. Uh, and again, for all those who are watching online, we're so glad you guys are here. Hey, uh, every single week we remind ourselves of what we believe. Uh, the things that we believe in our church focus us. They determine what we spend our money on as a church. They determine how we hire people. Uh, they determine uh, our future. When our elders think and pray about what we want to do in the future, it's all focused on this. Uh, so uh, every single week I introduce this, and just like always, I'll do it again for, for us. And it's a reminder for us that this is the foundation of our lives that we see all throughout Scripture. It's the foundation of what we see in the gospel and it becomes an opportunity for us to enter in uh, to the life that Jesus has for us. So there's always hope beyond our brokenness. Always. All of us come here with wounds, and we are not defined by our wounds, but we are defined by the one who heals our wounds. Amen? Amen. And uh, being a Christian isn't like, oh, well, I got over everything that happened to me in 1974 or 1991. Uh, it is, I am continually in the process of being redeemed and renewed and restored by my resurrected Savior. And so that means that uh, my wounds get healed, and then the next month or the next week when God brings up the next thing, I'm reminded once again, oh, yeah, there's hope, uh, even though I feel stuck. Second, we believe that we're called to trust in our risen Savior. And man, Jesus is alive. He's here by the power of his presence. And we are called to trust him. And trusting him, we're going to be talking about what that looks like today because Second John talks all about what does it look like to trust Jesus when you have people in your life who are trying to get you to not trust Jesus. And so we, uh, we're, we'll be talking about that today. What does it look like to put the weight of our life and our soul, uh, of our walking around every day breathing life in God's capable hands? Last week, Paul talked about that, like creating a rhythm of trust in your life where you're able to invite Jesus into those moments all throughout the day. And then finally, we are, we're called to bring restoration. So Wes gets to bring restoration to somebody this week with change for a dollar. And somebody in the second service is going to do the same thing. And for those who are caring for people with mental illness in their lives, Calm Seas will be a chance this week for people to, to, to find restoration. And, and we're going to love a bunch of high schoolers this week uh, who are in the drama department, and, uh, and are, we're going to be feeding them and blessing them 
this week, and, and on and on it goes in our church. It's remarkable how God is using you to put life back together again. It's amazing. So keep on going. Amen? Amen. Each one of these truths of hope and trust and restoration has a choice attached to it that you and I get to make. That word, I choose, weighs 10,000 pounds in your life. It's different than I want, right? I want to have a six-pack. It's different than I choose, yeah? Your choice is your... It's, you're saying, body, mind, soul, I'm going to do this, and I'm doing this now. And so that's why we deliberately say, I choose to follow Jesus, because discipleship isn't something that you fall into. It's something that you get to choose all day long. So let's choose together again. Let's read together. We are disciples who walk intentionally with God. Therefore, I choose to be changed by Jesus. I choose to seek Jesus first. I choose to join Jesus in his resurrection work. Amen? Amen. Well, so for those of you who are um, been with us, we have just finished a sh- series on 1 John. We're doing the Johns, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. These are the little books before the book of Revelation. John, again, the disciple, uh, he's the only kid in Jesus' youth group, right? He wrote the Gospel of John. Uh, he lived in modern-day Turkey on the, the western coast uh, in a town called Ephesus, which has more in common with L.A. Than, uh, than it does with any other town in the ancient world. It was the, it was the west coast hub for, uh, for, the, for the inland empire of the Roman Empire. And John, uh, along with Timothy and Jesus' mom, Mary, They were the elders leading the church in Ephesus. How cool is that, right? And we're going to do the Timmies next, by the way. First and second Timothy, the Timmies, right? We did the Johns, now we're going to do the Timmies. Um, And I love it because what Paul and John and Timothy, they're all writing and trying to connect with churches that are exactly where we are culturally and exactly where we are deep behind enemy lines, right? Uh, and our little town has a lot in common with the world uh, that these letters were written in. So 2 John is 13 verses. We're going to do it today. And 3 John is um, all of, uh, oh, I think it's even less. Um, and it, we're going to do that tomorrow or next week. Tomorrow. Yeah, so that's fantastic. That's it. Uh, and Second John is written to a, a woman who is leading a house church, uh, and this amazing woman who is, she's leading her family in this little house church, this small group that John helped them start, and this woman, um, it needs encouragement from John, not only to protect her family and her home um, uh, from people from the outside coming in that want to say, no, don't follow Jesus, but also just to encourage her and lift her up. So before we get into 2 John, I want to repeat something that I said two weeks ago um, in the second service, but I don't think I said it in the first service, so this might be new. Um, When you're having an argument with someone that you care about, uh, whether it's your spouse, your kid, or it's a coworker or a friend, um, it's tempting to make the person the problem rather than the problem the problem. 
It, let me say that again. It's tempting to make the person the problem rather than the problem the problem. If you consistently make the person the problem, you will attempt to win that battle. Okay? I'm right. You're wrong. And that feels good for a moment. But what it does in your relationship is it creates a dynamic where you're up here and they're down here. And if you consistently try and win that battle, what will happen is that you will lose the war for your relationship. If you want to destroy your marriage, do that. If you want to destroy a relationship with your children, do that. If you want to lose your job or lose your employees that love working it with you, be right and have them be wrong all the time. If you make the problem the problem, then your spouse or your friend or your coworker, then you can get side to side, shoulder to shoulder with them and look at the problem and say, let's fix this together. Does that make sense? Something really important too. Jesus never looks at you and says, you are the problem. He says, the problem is your sin, or the problem is your wounds, how people have sinned against you. The problem is the enemy of your soul who's trying to wreck you. That's the problem. So then Jesus, shoulder to shoulder with you, works to solve those problems. Often we think that, that there's me, and I'm the problem, and I have to deal with this mound of sin in my life before I can get to Jesus, and that's not the gospel. That's called religiosity, and we don't do that here. Jesus stands shoulder to shoulder with you as your advocate, as your savior, as your redeemer, as your friend. You're already in. He's already forgiven you. You've already been reconciled to him because of what he's done, not because of what you've done. And he says, let's work on the problem. You're not it. Your problem is the problem. And we're just going to make that the focus that we work on one at a time gently today. Does that make sense? He dies as your substitute so that his choice to have you as his own allows him now to bless you with every good thing that he has. You are not the problem. You are his prize. See, when your problems are the problems and Jesus is with you right next to you, then all of a sudden, you, f you don't feel alone. You don't feel ashamed. You feel loved. And you know that God actually cares about you enough to work with you so that you can be honest. But if you are the problem, then you'll hide. You'll hide everything in your life. And you won't talk about what's going on because you can't bear to be the problem. No one can. So John is going to encourage this amazing woman who's leading her family and leading her house church. He's going to encourage her, and he's going to help her see the difference between the two, but he's also going to build her up so that she can be a blessing to her family and her church. And isn't that what we all want? Amen? Okay, so let's pray. Jesus, help again. Again, everything opposed to Christ, leave this house Leave this church. If we're listening at home, leave our home, leave our car, wherever we are. Leave us now in the name of Jesus and go to Jesus to be judged. Father, renew our armor. 
Lord, be with us, open our ears, and we say to our own soul, our own spirit right now, awaken, O my soul. Help me to hear you, Jesus. We give you this time, Lord. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Man, I love you guys. I'm having so much fun. This is so great. Oh, you ready? 2 John, verse 1. Here we go. Let's read. The elder, so that's John. That's just saying, hey, I'm the elder. John's saying that. To the lady chosen by God and to her children, whom I love in the truth, and not I only, but all who know the truth, because of the truth which lives in us and will be with us forever. John, who's the elder, is writing to this woman who's leading her household. I just love it that from the very beginning of the church, God has chosen amazing women to help lead his church. And we have amazing women on staff as elders, as deacons, to help lead our church. I love that. It's, been, it's all throughout Scripture, and it's just awesome. And if all the men are honest, the only reason why you got saved and attended youth group was because she was cute. <laughs> Amen? Right? There you go. What is John saying to this amazing woman? Number one, the truth lives in you. The truth is with you. The truth is leading us, as we sang, to love each other. And of course, the truth is Jesus. As we let Jesus love us, his love then pours out of us. Again, if I think that I am the problem, then from a deficit, I have to do all of the things to earn my standing before God. But since Jesus says, I'm not the problem, but I'm his prize, then I can receive all the love that I have. Now the love is filling up out of me, and it pours out of me, and it's his love flowing through me. Does that make sense? So I get blessed, and you get blessed. Rather than out of a place of exhaustion, I'm going to try and be even more than I am, because why not give 100%, you know, just like, just give 110%. But I mean, if you really meant it, you give 127%, right? And that kind of thinking means I am the problem, and I have to keep on making up for something. So... Jesus is in us and with us, and he, then he leads us to, li- to love other people around us. So what does that look like in your life? Well, John's going to explain with words that we normally skip over, but words that weigh like 10,000 pounds. So let's read this. And when you read this in the New Testament, just slow down enough to remember the gravity of these words. And we sang them, and now we're going to read them. Are you ready? Verse 3, here it is. Read this with me. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and from Jesus Christ and the Father's Son will be with us in truth and love. Absorb that for a moment with me. There's three gifts that God has given you. Grace, mercy, and peace. And these three gifts come wrapped in truth and love. Let's talk about what that means just for a moment because it's way too easy to read this and go, I don't know what that means, and then go on to the next point. But if you don't understand this, you won't understand anything that John's going to say next, okay? So first of all, grace. Grace is getting what we don't deserve. That's right. Lakers don't deserve to be in the playoffs. They were given grace, okay? Warriors do, 
But there it is. But they sin, so there it is. It's a bad religious joke. Um, what does grace wrapped in truth and love look like? If I'm going to say, if I'm going to tell you about grace, but tell you the truth about grace, then that means I have to also acknowledge that you don't deserve it. But I also need to acknowledge that not from a place of condemnation, but from a place of love for you. So it kind of looks like this. God's saying, my child, though you are not fully capable of building the life you've always wanted, because I love you, I will give you what you don't deserve. I'll love you when you're cranky. I'll bless you even when you're disobedient. I'll answer your prayers even when you don't have faith. I'll give you a family that loves you even when you're self-centered. That's grace. That feels different, doesn't it? It's truth wrapped in love. See, grace is grace wrapped in truth and love sounds like this. What we have is far greater than what we have earned. This is God's grace. And knowing the truth of grace creates gratefulness and worship. Knowing grace comes from God's love can prevent us from trying to earn it because grace means you're already worthy of it. You see? Oh my gosh, God. Like we try and be the best dads and moms that we could possibly be. We try and do good work at our work. But when you look back at your life, you realize what I have is not because I've done it all. What I have is because I have been blessed beyond belief. The fact that you're here right now is a blessing of God's grace in my life. I do not deserve you. The things that I've done in order to be here at this church doesn't, it should not be that the work that I put in equals what God is doing here. It's only by his grace. And that leads me to worship. That's grace wrapped in truth and love. How about mercy? Oh, dang it. Mercy is this one. Mercy is not getting what we do deserve. Oh. I don't want to hear about mercy. Why? I don't want you to tell me that what I did or failed to do has bad consequences, painful consequences, and that you bore that for me. When Jesus gives us mercy wrapped in truth and love, it looks like this. My child, if I gave you justice, you'd be wrecked for all eternity. What you did, what you failed to do, it all adds up to disaster. And because I love you, I will be condemned so that you are not. Because I love you, when you fail again, I will make a way back for you. And I will forgive you. 
and I will make a way for you to bring restoration and repair in your life. That's mercy wrapped in truth and love. And knowing the truth of mercy creates humility and worship. Knowing mercy comes from God, God's love for you can prevent us from feeling worthless or toxic or hopeless because we're valuable enough to be given mercy. Does that make sense? Sometimes when we think we've messed up, what we think is, oh, man, you know what? Who would want to be around me? That's that feeling of being toxic, like that I just infect everything and everywhere I go, that I'm the problem and I'm worthless and therefore, ugh, right? Something that's been done to you, something that you keep on doing, whatever it is, you feel like I just, I'm, I'm making everything bad when I'm, when I'm around. Mercy is the truth that that's not true. Mercy, mercy is the truth wrapped in love of God saying, no, 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 um, you're worthy enough for me to pay for everything that you've done wrong because you're my prize, not the problem. Make sense? Therefore, if God gives us grace and mercy wrapped in truth and love, the outcome then is wholeness. It's integration. It's healing. It's this idea of shalom. That's peace, right? So it looks like this. My peace is my wholeness, my whole life under the banner of God's love. My Savior turbocharges the best in me with his grace, right? He looks at you and he goes, look at all the great things that you're doing. How can I just make it all better? It's like, I want to pour gasoline on that awesome fire. Let's go. Let's go, right? It's like, how can I invest in that? They gave me this much? Sweet. I'm going to turn this much into... I'm going to take your mustard seed and move a mountain with it. I'm going to take one little tiny thing of faith that you have and create it a hundredfold. I'm going to do... Just give me just a little bit of stuff, you, and I'll go... Right? Because he loves you. So my Savior turbocharges the best in me with his grace and then suffers in my place to save me from the worst in me. That's peace. That's wholeness. That's why we do healing at this church. That's what it looks like to have this exchange of like, God, I don't want to keep on holding on to this worthlessness or this fear, this anger, whatever it is. I want what you have for me instead. Bad out, good in. Amen? Amen. This is the gospel. God's giving you mercy and grace, and it leads to your peace. So, man, stop resisting it. Preaching to me. Stop resisting it. I don't want grace because I want to earn it. That's dumb. You know what I can build with my own mighty hands? Not much. (laughs) Seriously, get tired after like 25 minutes, I need a break. Is it lunch yet? I measure three times, I cut four times. Waste material, miss opportunities, can't add three numbers at the same time, have no idea how to learn from my mistakes. Like, I am... But with God, he could use me to build 
a majestic kingdom. Stop avoiding responsibility. Look, when you accept mercy in your life, that means that you have to take radical responsibility for everything that you have, all your feelings, all your thoughts, all your actions. And it's not a place of condemnation. It's a place where you get to experience mercy and therefore healing and therefore wonder and awe and worship. It'd be like going to the doctor's office and lying about how sick you are. That's dumb. How are you feeling? Really great. Why are you bleeding uncontrollably from your arm? That's nothing. It's just a flesh wound. You're on the operating table. No, no, no. Don't fix that. I want that broken that way. I don't want you to think I'm that sick. But you can operate on this part. That's fine. That's so dumb. Let God love all of you. It takes courage to do that, doesn't it? It's not easy, is it? And let's be honest, not everybody's going to do this. Not everybody in your family is going to sign up for this, and your friends aren't going to sign up for this. Not everybody in your life is going to say, oh, yes, I want to take full responsibility for my life. I'm willing to be called out. Oh, yes, I'm willing to surrender. Oh, yes, I'm willing to give up all of my lusts and all of my desires and all of my wantings to be God and for God not to be God so that I can trust Jesus. People don't, not everybody in your life is going to want to do that. This is why John writes in verse 4, it has given me great joy to find that at least some of your children are walking in the truth just as the Father commanded us. I have a, a legacy of anger in my family. And anger is the tool that my family has used to avoid grace and mercy. Uh, we avoid mercy by getting angry when someone confronts us with what we've done. Hey, Andy, back off! You're the... <laughs> you ever do that? Somebody starts confronting you, and you immediately start thinking, yeah, but you. Oh, we're going to play the confrontation game? Well, let me tell you all your stuff, right? I might have done two things wrong, but I can name six things wrong that you've done right now. So scales of justice, I win. You're the problem, not me. Ha! What am I doing? I'm, I'm using anger as a tool to try and avoid mercy. I don't want to be confronted on my stuff, and so I get mad. I avoid grace by using anger as the tool to be hyperproductive. I don't like being feeling this way, and so I'm going to get mad. But see, anger is a blazing hot fire, right? <laughs> That's why in the inside out, anger is a fire, and it burns hot and fast. And so if you use anger as the tool to avoid grace, you know what you're going to do? You're going to go... I'm going to get stuff done right now. And then it piles, fizzles out, and you're like, I'm so tired. <laughs> and all your projects to save and fix yourself end real quick. Can you relate? <laughs> Anger is a tool that God gives you. It's an emotion that is from God. God gets angry, too. 
and its sole purpose is to move you so that you can protect irreplaceable people. That's it. It is a short-term fuel. It is rocket fuel that you put in a funny car to go 500 miles an hour, a quarter mile down a strip. It is not long-term fuel. Those engines in a funny car, they last, you know how many miles? 12. 12 miles. You cannot use anger as a fuel to get things done for your life. You will burn everything down around you. Anger isolates, anger hurts, anger exhausts, anger keeps everyone away. And it's also really easy to be angry and to not know that you're angry. I'm not angry. (laughs) I'm fine. I feel happy all the time. We don't want to admit that we're angry. Women don't want to admit that they're angry at all. It's really hard for women to admit that they're angry because then that would mean that you... You're a, and nobody wants, right? That's a a bad word. You're a bad word. And thank you, Alan. You saved my job. And, but but literally, literally, that word is used to classify women who have the normal emotion of anger. And it's a travesty. Every woman gets to be angry just like every man gets to be angry when injustice is done. And men are celebrated by being angry, thus Braveheart, right? And, uh, and it's okay to be angry as a man, and it is an awful tool to use to get anything done. Anger does not build, it burns. Does that make sense? Anger is what you need in order to say, that's not right, because it moves you quickly to defend an irreplaceable person, be it yourself or somebody else, but it is not a tool to build. It is a tool to move you to defend, and then you need other tools after that. Why am I talking about anger for so long? I don't know. Why are you? I mean, um, well, because... Because now I'm realizing my next part of my journey and my healing, like I said, I'm not going to share with you what happened in 1984. I'm going to share with you what happened this week, every week. What I realized this week, what friends helped me realize this week is that I've been angry for a long time. I forgive people all the time. I'm really good at forgiveness. I help you with forgiveness. I've written curriculum on forgiveness. I forgive. I really am a forgiving person. Unforgiveness for me is death, but I hang on to the anger. Isn't that wonderful? (laughs) So if I'm a pastor and I'm still, and I know all about all of these things and I'm holding on to anger, I just want to affirm, and so does John to this woman in this house church, he wants to affirm that it's hard sometimes. It's hard sometimes to unravel it all. When you are bound up and worked over and beaten up and hurt, if you've been hurt by a church, oh my gosh, it just, it's hard. It's hard. Not everybody in your family is going to know Jesus and walk with him. 
And just know that the reason why is like, he doesn't say that out of like disappointment. He says that out of compassion. It's hard. Do you think that we could just take a moment and pray for those people in our family that in our lives that don't know Jesus? Could we do that? Jesus, we know the miracle that it is for us that you saved us and how much love and time it took for our hearts to melt. And so we just lift before you and put before you our friends, our family, our kids, our grandkids, our spouses, our parents, our neighbors that do not know you. Use us to show, demonstrate, communicate them grace and mercy and love. And if we're not the people to do that, God, then bring people around them. Jesus, we're, we're praying our no way prayers right now. It doesn't feel like there's any way that you could save this person, but we're asking that you do. We're interceding for them on, your be, on their behalf. And all God's people said, amen. So John continues to talk to this amazing woman who's who's leading her house church. And he he writes this. And now, dear lady, I'm not writing you a new command, but one that we've had from the beginning. I ask that we love one another. Read with me verse 6. And this is love, that we walk obedience to his commands. As you have heard from the beginning, his command is that you walk in love. What's the command? I ask that you love one another. And what's love? Walking in love, not thoughts and prayers love, <laughs> right? That's affection. That's kindness. That's great. That's, that's not love. Love is, has legs to it. It walks. It does something. It, love shows that person in your life that you're willing to make their life better at your expense. Does that make sense? as opposed to hate, which is you're making your life better at their expense. Yes? Okay. In John's time, just like in ours, there are so many people who would argue against walking in love. They would argue for thoughts and prayers because it costs you nothing. They would argue against walking in love that costs you something and benefits them. And what do they say? They say, you're giving your time and money away to them? What? Let them take responsibility for their life. You listen, your time and your money is for you. You gotta take care of you because if you're gonna spend time and money on something, invest it in yourself, not in lost causes. You need to prioritize you because no one else will. Sound familiar? Oh, Shazam. And some of what they say sounds a little right. You're like, you're right. I am worth it. I'm going to have chocolate and Netflix right now, (laughs) right? Here's the thing about deception. Deception isn't just a flat-out lie. It's a little bit of a lie mixed with some truth so that you think the lie is the truth. Does that make sense? That's what deception is, literally. It's here's the truth. A little bit of a lie, another truth, so that you think a lie is the truth. 
That's what deception is. So John writes to her, listen, I'm telling you to walk in love because many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus as the Messiah believe that he even came in the flesh. He's just, Jesus is this floating nice idea. They've gone out into the world, and any such person is the deceiver, and they are against Jesus Christ. They're anti-Christ. They want something else to save. Just buy that Lexus. It'll save you. Eat that food. It'll save you. Drink that drink. It'll save you. Make that amount of money. It'll save you. Have that position of power. It'll save you. Have this much invested by this age. It will save you. Watch out that you do not lose what we've worked for, but, you may, but that you may be rewarded fully. It is so hard to keep on loving even when people don't respond. I, I just heard amen from 11 people who know exactly how I feel. The rest of you need to say amen. It is so hard to keep on loving someone even when they don't respond how you want them to. Amen. Yeah. It's easy just to go, you know what? <laughs> Lost cause. I'll just take care of myself. Nah. I'm going to thoughts and prayers that guy. <laughs> Done. Right? So John says, don't lose Jesus. Keep your heart on him, talking to him, receiving his love in your times of prayer and worship. And give that love away as you love others well. Don't stop. When other people hurt us, what do we think? We do? What do we think? We think, oh, God, how could you allow that? Why are you so mean? And God's like, I'm not. They chose it. Why are you blaming me? And we're like, well, you should have stopped and taken away their free will so my life couldn't be hurt. And Jesus is like, well, then I should have taken away your free will. And you're like, back off! <laughs> And then we blame God, and what do we do? We stop praying. And John is saying to her, don't lose Jesus. Keep on keeping him at the center of your life. Keep on receiving his love so that you can give away, even when you get hurt, even when people don't respond the way you want them to. Don't stop keeping on. Keep Jesus at the center. Then John gives practical, amazing warning to this woman. Anyone who runs ahead and does not continue in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever continues in the teaching has both a father and the son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not take them into your house or welcome them. So if someone's coming into your life and saying, you know what? Jesus, this whole Jesus thing, it's not working for you. You got to love yourself. You know this whole like, oh, pray and trust and then like love others well. That's dumb, man. All it's doing is costing you. You should just take care of yourself. If that person is coming into your life, do not take them into your house or welcome them. What the heck, John? Why are you so harsh? The words John uses, like take them in or welcome, have a very specific flavor in John's time. John is saying this, if you know they're completely rejecting Jesus, don't give them a platform to speak in your house, church. Don't let them preach. Don't ask them to join what you're doing if you know that they're just going to pull in the opposite direction. Some of you take criticism from people that you would never take their advice from. <laughs> 
What are we doing? Why do we do that? Why do I care? If I won't take their advice, why do I care about their criticism? Look, we've all had family members or friends who've pulled in the exact opposite direction Jesus wants us to go, and it's awful. They influence us, they wound us, they leave behind damage. April and I are spending a lot of time right now in counseling, unraveling the dysfunction of her dad's damage in our lives. He pulled in the exact opposite direction of Jesus, and he evangelized his way and insisted that his way of living was best. He said things like, oh, be angry to get things done, or don't forgive, or take it personal when someone has a different opinion, or get mad when they don't like your food, right? This list goes on and on and on. They're, they're rules. They're, they're, they're things that he evangelized to us and said, this is what you should do. This is how you should live. And it takes years to get over that kind of damage because though they might not be in your home anymore, their message still is. And there will be a day when you open your eyes and see that some of your friends are not pulling in the same direction as Jesus. The fact that the, that the only thing that you have in common with your friends is your shared bondage to the same numbing strategy. They're not friends. You know what they are? They're cellmates. And when you start to get free, they'll do everything they can to pull you right back into bondage. Why are you following Jesus? Just play golf with me. Why are you following Jesus? Just drink this, take this, smoke this, snort this. Why are you following Jesus? That's dumb. Let's just build this thing together. Why? They'll pull you back in. This is why John says, don't welcome them. Don't take them in. Don't welcome their bondage. Don't take in their thinking into your heart. Now, John knows that a letter isn't going to help this woman. He wants to visit, so he says this. Look, I have much to write to you, but I don't want to use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to visit you and talk with you face to face so that our joy may be complete. And you read these verses and you're like, well, that's nice, sentiment. But look at what John is saying. We need each other's presence. Unraveling and getting healed from the damage people have created in your life or have created or are currently creating takes a lot of face-to-face -face conversation. You know what I'm saying? You don't get over that alone. It's so confusing when you first start figuring out that you've been deceived. Let me give you an example from my own life. Can I? Would that be okay? Great. Just two more minutes and then I'll land the plane, I promise. Um, for years, anytime I would make a mistake, intentional or not, if someone got frustrated or angry with me, whether their frustration or anger was reasonable or not, I would apologize 17 times. I would get in a sack of self-hatred and condemnation, and then I would show for a day or two that I was really, really, really sorry, and I was miserable to be around. And I had a friend, a two. Debbie was one of them. Her husband, Dave, was another. Um, they said, what are, you, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? This is dumb. Why are you doing this? They had that conversation with me not one time, not two times, not three times. They had that face-to-face -face conversation with me many, many, many times because that's what it took for me to be unraveled from that lie. Does that make sense? It took a lot more conversations to realize that the behaviors that I've inherited from my parents or from April or from her dad or that anger 
um, that, that I've been working hard to stop that irritant in my life. It's taken a lot of face-to-face conversations. And that's what John is saying. I can't wait for you to be face-to-face because like, we got to talk this out. we got to hash it through because you and I, we all have irritants in our life right now, right? Yeah. They're probably sitting right next to you. <laughs> true. Let me explain. Listen, sand is an irritant. If, if you get sand in your eye and you don't think, do anything about it, you'll get an infection. If you don't do anything about that infection, you could lose your sight. But sand in an oyster doesn't cause blindness. It creates a pearl. Okay? So sand, we think that, that, that sand is the issue. Right? We think, oh, that's the irritant. We think, ah, my spouse, they're the irritant. We want to make the people in our lives the problem. But that's not the irritant. They're not the irritant. Your choice of how to respond is the issue. Are you going to go blind with your anger, or are you going to make something beautiful about what's happened in your life? Now, I used to go blind with my dysfunctional response of getting in a sack and apologizing 17 times and making myself terrible and then making it impossible for anybody to be around me for days on end. That was a horribly dysfunctional way of responding to people wanting to give me mercy. And I'm, I'm, I'm doing that different now. It's exciting for me, it's exciting. And now I get to deal with my anger. And now I get to do, use a different tool. And that'll be exciting for me. And it'll be the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. Right? Because I, I want to make pearls out of my life. See, what happens when love is the foundation for your life, when you decide to make love the foundation, when you decide, you know what, I'm not going to change people through anger. I'm going to love them and trust that God will do the changing. I'm not going to change my life by being angry at myself. I'm going to receive God's love and choose to love myself and receive grace and mercy. And maybe that, that verse in Romans 2, that gentleness will lead to my repentance and change, may I'll just trust that Scripture knows more than I do. Love is the fuel that will change your family and your life because he's wildly in love with you. He's done everything to show you that. And he will never leave you nor forsake you. He will love you. Jesus will love you. And he loves you right now. So if you have someone in your life who's determined to pull you away from Jesus, it's okay to say no. It's okay to put up boundaries. It's okay not to welcome their message or their bondage into your life. And the response isn't to thoughts and prayers them. It's to be able to love them. And it's going to take face-to-face conversation to figure out how to do that well. But that's why we got each other. Let's pray. Jesus, would you bless and seal all the good things that we've sung and talked about today in our hearts? I just pray against all the enemy's plans to rob, steal, or destroy what you've done here today, Jesus. I pray that you would help us. Deliver us from anger, Lord. Deliver us from um, just putting people in, in a in a place where 
uh, we would either welcome their bondage and not even think twice about it, or God, that we would just stop loving because they're not doing what we want them to do. Lord, we're desperate for your grace and mercy, and we're so grateful that you give it to us in truth, wrapped up in love. So I pray freedom for my friends today and growth for my friends today. Bless all that you've done in their hearts. We love you, Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. And to show you love this morning, we have donut holes for you. (laughs) Would you stand for the benediction? Don't forget, Table Talk is across the street. It'll start in about 10 minutes. If you want prayer, please come forward for it. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance. That's his delight in you and give you the peace that passes all understanding. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, have a great day, guys. Go in peace. Pastor Andy Rock is the senior pastor of Coastal Community Church. It's located in Grover Beach, California, and serves communities across the Central Coast. Join us online each week on Sunday morning at 9 a.m. for our weekly live stream. We also have two in-person services at 9 a.m. and 1040 a.m. in our sanctuary. Coastal Community Church is located at 1830 Farrell Road, Grover Beach, California. For more information, visit our website, www.mycoastal.org. Thanks for joining us, and I hope you have a great week.